excuse me, let me tell you something. When America opened the floodgates, what do you think they were doing it for? Because, because they were trying to save us from poverty? No, they did it because they needed us. They needed us to build their cities and dig their subways and to make them richer. The Carnegies and the Rockefellers, they needed worker bees and there we were. But some of us didn't want to swarm around their hive and lose who we were. But we had the balls to take what we wanted. You been listening to me? You're born to this shit. You are what you are. We're in a situation where everybody involved knows the states. And if you're going to accept those states, you got to do certain things. soldiers. We follow codes, orders. All due respect, you got no fucking idea what it's like to be number one. This is the course I've chosen. And those of you that are not with me on it, well that makes me sad. And it'll be dealt with in time. Do you remember one thing that you better hear? Do you want to talk about this old school bullshit about the rules? Well, here's a rule you might remember. I'm the motherfucking fucking one who calls the shots. Well, hello there. Uh, welcome back. Trying to get these out as quickly as possible to people. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning um, who's very much so involved in this and who is very much so more than just a friend. But I was telling her, I said, you know, I really hope that I'm presenting this in a way and they're guiding me in a way where this is helpful to people. And I'm sure that they are. They always do. But I say that because most of the things that I put out for people, at the very least, I'll have like some kind of bullet point in front of me where I'm like following the topics that I want to address so it all makes sense, right? I'm not doing that with this. And so that's why I'm I'm really stressing that if you have questions or if there's anything that might not make sense to you to make sure that you comment so that I can clarify if I need to. But uh, that brings me to a thought that was placed into my mind by higher sources, obviously, and we'll get to why that's even important to distinguish. But in a lot of religions, there's the obedience, right? And like, I've always had a problem with that word. I don't like to be obedient. In fact, in my in my vows, okay, like when I got married, I looked at the the gentleman that married us and I said, you know, here's our here's my vows, here's our vows. I wrote them for both of us because I know who my husband is at the at his very core and I knew that he was not going to write anything, but it doesn't matter. So I looked at the the guy that married us and I said, here's our vows. And um, he goes, you know, don't worry about it. I got it covered. And I looked at him and I said, "Okay, but if you put obey in there, I'm not I'm not vowing to that. Like, I've always had a problem with authority, but in the same breath. okay, so I'm like getting caffeinated this morning to do this. And what I realized is that technically that's a fucking lie. So in religious, it talks about, you know, being obedient to God, to the most high. Um, again, that's always my term for what most will recognize as God. I think that's more of an appropriate term for him. But point is, I've always said this to people. If you know me, if you talk to me on a one on one or even like a session or anything like that, I tell people when spirit says jump, this bitch is like how fucking high human being says jump. And I'm like, fuck you. 
I got cement blocks on my feet. You know, like I've had a problem with human authority for a long time. But in religious texts, I think when it talks about the obedience, it's no different than when I'm expressing myself. And I know many of you out there that I've talked to can relate to this. You know, when spirit says, do this, there's this compelling urge that we have innately to follow that. And that is true obedience and not, you know, false authority, we'll say. Anyway, so that's my rant for this morning. That's my aha epiphany moment that I'd like to share with all of you amongst everything else that we're going to be talking about. So I know that this series goes in a lot of different directions. And that's kind of where my, I guess you could call it doubt, my doubt comes in, you know, make sure that this is getting out there in an order where people are able to follow and they're able to relate because the end revelation, we'll say, is extremely important. But all of these things that I'm talking about, believe me, are very much so tied into that end game. Like I said before, I don't think I'm the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Thank you for following along this bitch's trail of epiphanies. The other thing that I wanted to talk about that piggybacks off of episode two is the whole earthbound thing, okay? If any of you were at the slightest confused in regards to how a soul or a spirit can become trapped in that self-created purgatory, the easiest way for me to put it, and I thought about this this morning, is the power that fear has, both in the human experience and in the spiritual and the energetic experience. The people that I have, the souls that I have experienced that were in that self-created purgatory, they were there because of a deeply embedded fear. And usually it's very much so indoctrinated and it affects the soul, right? Fear affects the soul. It does not just affect us as humans. It affects us on a soul level. And that kind of goes back to some of the, the channeled messages that I talked about in episode two. So if you were confused on that, I hope that that clarifies a couple of things for you. So when we left off with episode two, I left off with a message that I got from Sekhmet. If you're not sure who Sekhmet is, I talk about her again in Raised by Spirit. I believe that's chapter eight or nine or somewhere in there. I've always described her as being like a persona of, right? She's a very powerful being and I resonate with her a lot. (laughs) Probably because she's a lion and she's a fierce bitch and she won't, you know, she don't fuck around and fuck around with her, you're going to find out. Um, And I totally resonate with that but in the same breath all of that is really done with with love you know I mean we we say shit like that all the time when we're like you know mama bear type shit so we left off with the message that she gave me in regards to a journey and a new age and she touched upon you know frequencies perceptions, all that fun stuff. That was December 21st, 2020. So again, going back to episode one, when I talked about how I was introduced to St. Germain, I was introduced to St. Michael, and then I was channeling dragons. I know it sounds out there, but that's what happened. And then Sekhmet came in, right? So I'm going to talk about those a little bit more in detail. When I had that dream of what I came to the conclusion of was St. Germain, and I was guided towards the books that I had dreamt of, all connected back to my dad, right? Because my dad was the one that initiated that when I asked for his help. St. Germain, it what he's just, he's not the same for me as the others. Every single, we'll say, being that comes in, higher being that comes in, they work very differently. So... 
with Saint Germain, the best way for me to explain it, I guess, is that he worked very much so behind the scenes. Michael was very much so in the forefront, but again, they worked together. And the reason that I know they worked together is because in the two years of 2019 and 2020, yes, I was dealing with understanding and going through, you know, what Earthbounds were and their stories and the common themes and that fear affects the soul. I was going through that, right? But on a personal level, I was dealing with my mother, right? In the same process, I was introduced to a new guide and I'm quotating him because he's very interesting. So anyway, so he's a new guide, new guardian angel that comes in. He doesn't speak (laughs) at all. He's a Native American, and by his looks, he looks to be of a Cherokee tribe, okay? And I say that just because there's a difference within tribes, to the best of my knowledge, based off their attire and what they wear. And, you know, if you don't know this, I am partly Cherokee, especially on the maternal side of the family. So he comes in, doesn't say a word, um, starts teaching me about how I'm going to teach other people, understand their energy centers, um, and how it's connected to the body and how to heal that and blah, blah, blah. He comes in, he does that all without saying a word, by the way. I know it's very odd, but I ended up naming him Chief because he didn't give me a name. So I just named him and that's his name. So Orion and Chief come in between 2019 and 2020 and says, you need to teach people how to meditate. And I'm like, well, that's going to be a little difficult there, buddy, because I do not meditate. My mind does not operate that way. Okay. They were like, don't worry, we're going to teach you. And so I channeled this entire meditation. It's guided meditation. It was the first one that I wrote. I channeled it from Orion and Chief and it's called the Diamond Shield Meditation. Now in that um, meditation, I believe if memory serves me correctly, I believe that I reference St. Germain and I reference St. Michael and shielding and all of this other stuff. And I call it like an empath guided meditation for a diamond shield. So in the process of channeling this, putting it together, releasing it, um, it was something that I started to teach people how to do. I I mean, I know that it was helpful, didn't realize how much it is going to be helpful to people to understand how to do this and what they were technically teaching me to teach other people. Okay. And then on top of that, by December 21st, like I said in the last episode, Sekhmet comes through and she says, meditation and manifestation are two main ingredients or techniques or however she worded it uh, to reprogram the mind, right? Okay, cool. We got all that. Now, going back to Michael, amongst all of these things happening, I was literally going about my day and I literally went into another world. I know that this sounds strange. I talk about it in great depth in Raised by Spirit. I think it's under the past lives. I think that's the name of the chapter. But essentially, like I'm going about my day and all of a sudden I'm not in my living room anymore vacuuming or whatever the fuck I was doing because it always happens when I'm cleaning. And I see myself in this like cobblestone cellar and I look down and I see these little feet right like eight-year-old little feet and I'm terrified like terror is running through my veins and then it's gone and I'm like what the actual fuck okay this is all happening right after my mother straight up was like no bueno 
not my daughter. So that day I went to the grocery store because we're free range human beings and we have shit we have to do. And I run into this guy. Now I knew this guy from working at the apothecary that I mentioned in episode one, right? So he bumps into me in a very not appropriate way. Not not what I would advise most people to do, but I'm like looking at the meat section and he like bumps into me from behind and I'm ready to turn around and, and clock him. And then I realize it's him and I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? Well, he's very important as we all are. I basically told him what was going on and he's like, you should come to my meditations. I do a meditation group. You should come. And I'm like, oh, what is it with this meditation shit? I don't want to do it, right? So when you talk to me now and I'm like, oh, you should meditate. And then my follow that sentence with, I understand it's a massive eye roll into another dimension. Still doesn't mean it's not important. So he's like, you should come and meditate. I'm like, fine. So I go. I was super reluctant to do it because... I'm going to sit down and meditate and then I'm going to see everything that's going on in everybody else's life. But that did not happen. I ended up seeing a previous life and it was presented to me in a way that I would understand this. Okay. And this is very relevant to some things that recently came to light within the last five months. So I see this previous life. I'm in a wooded area. The woods are scattered, but there's a house in the middle of this wooded area. And it's a plantation like looking house. And I am observing everything from a bird's eye view. Okay. And I'm getting um, a diet dialogue, if you will, about what's going on as I'm seeing this. And I see a woman that looks very similar to my mother standing outside of this plantation house with a little girl standing by her side. The little girl standing by her side probably looked to be about maybe 10, but she looked very similar to my sister. And the dialogue was, you're inside the house. And then I saw the woman flick a match and throw it on the porch and the whole fucking thing goes up in flames while I was inside, right? I was the little girl inside, seven years old. The woman takes the little girl off to a distant pond and starts to do things that I could only describe looks like baptizing her, right? All this inner dialogue stuff's coming in and it's like you were basically murdered because you were different and they were scared of you. That happens. So I go up to this guy and I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, dude, I got some shit going on. I'm like, I need you to do a past life regression with me. I just need you to walk me through it. He's like, okay. So a couple days later, we meet up. We sit down, you know, whatever, lotus position. He always used to get real frustrated with me because he would be like, put your palms up and open your mouth. And he would like instruct you of the all the normal ways that one would meditate. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to sit like this. This is how I'm going to sit. This is how I'm comfortable. Fuck you. I'm not going to follow your rules. Again, I only have one kind of obedience. Okay. So anyways, he walks me through this and I'm in the cobblestone I'm in the cobblestone area. Well, actually, I take that back. I saw a village with these little hay huts, cobblestone with like hay roofs. And I see the same woman that was standing outside of the plantation house, again, looking eerily similar to my mother, walking with a little girl. And this might be hard for you to understand, but like I, for a moment in time, I saw the little girl that was in the house of the plantation house. So I knew what she looked like. So a little girl that was being walked by this woman in this other vision looked very similar. So I knew it was the same little girl. And if that was me, then this was me again, right? Everybody always laughs when I do that. I say again for entertainment purposes only. So anyways, I see her walking into this village. I know at this point that this village is a group of men, all ages, and she is getting rid of me. Something's wrong with this bitch. 
don't want her. Here you go. I'm pretty sure that there was a trade that occurred, but I don't know. I can't say specifically. So mom sells me to this village of men and they put me in this cobblestone dirt cellar like looking place. There was other children that were there. And I mean, there's no nice way to put this, but there was years of torture, unimaginable torture. I was around seven-ish years old, I think, at the same time in that lifetime when this occurred, and I died in the act of torture around 15. Now, the first time we went into this, and this is why I say a lot of things that people that have talked to me before, and anybody that is like, I want to do a past life regression, I learn things the hard way. I've always been that way. So take my advice, please, at least with a grain of salt, when you go into a meditation to do a regression, do your absolute best to observe. Because at one point when I was when I I was observing in the beginning, but when I got taken into that cellar, I was not observing anymore. I was reliving it. Nobody needs to relive things because usually if you're going to go back into a past life experience, you're not going to see all the happy times. You're going to see the things that need to be fixed and balanced and harmonized. Um, so I didn't stay in observation mode. I went straight up in it as if I was reliving it. I could not hear my friend for shit. Apparently he was trying to bring me back for a hot second. Once I finally came back, he's like, you got to stay in observation mode. And I was like, okay, well, can we try again then? I'm a little Miss Perfectionist over here. But so he's like, yeah, but let's give it a couple days. So I'm like, okay. So we do it again. A couple days later, I'm like firmly in the fact that I need to observe only. I was successful at doing that. I didn't go through the whole scene all over again. I went right back to where we had left off when I died around 15 years old. Again, bird's eye view. I saw the torture going on. I saw my soul leave the body. I saw the moment that I left the physical experience. And at that exact moment in time, that's when Michael showed up, brought me up, handed me a sword. That was that. So we get done. I'm like, okay, so that's what happened. My friend starts laughing at me when I tell him that it was Michael and he handed me a sword. And again, relevant back to back to when my dad handed me the sword again. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck are you laughing at, dude? Like, this is disturbing. And he's like, no, he goes, this is why you always sit the way you sit. And you never listen to me when I tell you to sit with your palms open. He's like, you always sit with your hands folded in front of you like you're holding a sword. And I was like, oh, touche, motherfucker. Good point. So I go home. Home, right. I'm looking up a little thing here and there about Michael. When you look up stuff on the on the Internet and the allowed knowledge that they have at the current moment in time, I always tell people use your discernment. You know, if it feels right. Cool. If it doesn't move the fuck on. But I found this one something or other. I don't know what it was. I found something on the Internet. It talks about how Michael was responsible for taking the souls up to the heavenly realm. And I was like, son of a bitch. That's exactly what he fucking did. Right. So. That's where Michael came in and that's where St. Germain was working in the background. Now, the reason that that is important is because that's a point in time, 2018, 19 and 20, three years worth, okay, because we had a lot going on, where I was beginning to understand that there was a big part of uh, previous lifetimes that I had lived that I had brought into this life experience where a big focus was about, you know, making it past the age of 15 because I didn't in in the four lifetimes that I'm aware of. I did not make it past the age of 15 solely for the fact that I am who the fuck I am. And I've been this way for a very, very, very long time. Wasn't accepted, blah, blah, blah. Kind of goes back to the to the dragon message. The dragon message starts to make a little bit more sense at this point, right? It's considered dangerous. 
and unimaginable. Well, it was definitely considered something if a bitch wanted to sell her own daughter and get rid of her or kill her or do whatever. So I'm starting to understand the reason why I have the mother that I have in this life, the sister that I have in this life, the abilities that I have in this life, this, that, and the third. Okay. And then it was right around this time where I did a retreat with a bunch of girls in another state. And the, the retreat was just like a healing retreat. It was a lot of different practitioners that did, had a lot of different abilities and we just went there and we did readings, you know. And one of the things that practitioners received for doing this was a past life email from a woman that didn't mean any of us, didn't know anything about any of us. And um, I'm going to read to you what that says. Now, you have to understand, too, that prior to this uh, forceful entry into previous lifetimes, I really didn't have, like, I didn't care about past lives. I shouldn't say that I didn't care. I didn't have an interest in past lives. I was forced into this with reason, sure, 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 but it wasn't something that I was pursuing. Now, mind you too, I just want to stay here like, yes, this this is in technical order, but when I got this past life reading, this was something that I just tucked away and went about my life and didn't really give too much of a anything to it, even though I was going into, because I had a lot of shit obviously going on with my mom and in the spiritual aspect and in my personal, like just everything was going on, right? COVID, all the shit. So got the past life reading, stuck it in a fucking notebook, went about my life. When I was doing this retreat, there's one specific woman that I read. I have no idea where readings are really going to go for the most part prior to them. I have no interest. And obviously, clearly, I don't have fucking time to tap into everybody's life prior to her reading. So I sit down with this woman. This is going to sound out there like everything else that I say. But basically, I saw her at the feet of Christ during the crucifixion. I'm going to call it a ceremony, okay? She was beyond devastated and distraught because of this that was going on. And I saw the feet of Jesus. We're going to get into that later. But I saw the feet of Jesus. I saw them being taken away. I did not see an actual crucifixion, okay? But I saw him being taken on a cross, and I saw her, I saw through her eyes. She was so distraught. By the way, those of you out there that are getting the chills, there's a reason. But anyways, so uh, she was so distraught that she just walked. And I mean, this woman walked until she died, and that was her reading. And I was like, holy shit, bitch, you were fucking there with Jesus. Jesus, like you you have been places, ma'am. And, you know, she went on and she totally resonated with that, had her own personal connections and experiences, things that were able to be validated as far as why that was something that came up in her reading. But I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what I saw. And I know what I saw. So that happened at this retreat. And then at the end of the retreat, so this all happens first, then I get this past life email. By the way, the email was given to me by the same woman that I read because she was part of the orchestrating group that put everything together. So this is what the email said. It said a past life having the most significant impact during this lifetime is one which you were a man living in ancient Persia. I am shown a tall, slender, serious man dressed in either a turban or a headdress of some kind wearing a long, elaborate robe. You were a mystic, scientist, astrologer, astronomer, and priest who was highly literate, educated, and 
and wise in multiple disciplines. You acted as an advisor to high-ranking officials, I believe the king himself. You were very quote-unquote by the book as your main concern was maintaining the integrity and purity of religious doctrine and beliefs of your culture to make sure that they were not contaminated by outside influences. You believed that religious adherence and integrity were the foundations of a stable, prosperous society and also a society that maintains control over its populace. You were born into this occupation and trained from an early age to fulfill this role. This is who you are at the core of your being. You were outspoken yet respectful when showing your concerns in advising officials. You never wavered in your belief and adherence to the rules and procedures of your position. You were respected and trusted by those whom you served and were well honored for your service to the king and empire when your time came to pass from the world. In this life, you've brought forward with you the intellectual strength that you possessed in that lifetime. You have the capability to hold in your mind the knowledge and skills of many disciplines and are capable of compartmentalizing this knowledge in your mind equally at the same time you are able to understand the larger picture that all things represent. There is a former teacher or colleague from that lifetime who is also in a position of authority whom you respected during that lifetime. This person is someone in this lifetime that you share similar mindsets and outlooks on life. And that was it. I understand that all of this is a lot, but I'm hoping that everyone is following. We have St. Germain coming through. St. Germain deals with generational cycles. Let me just clarify before we go any further what a generational cycle is. Number one, if you really want to know, you'll get the gist from chapter one to chapter 13 in Raised by Spirit because that's essentially what all the experiences accumulated to. I didn't realize that when I put the book together, when I put the chapters together, I was just telling a story. I was telling my life story. That was all I was doing. But everything within those chapters are really the experiences that led up to breaking a generational cycle. So let's talk about real quick before we move on, let's talk about what a generational cycle is. There is uneducated people out there that regurgitate things like generational curses. And I'm going to get to why that is why it's a very incorrect way of putting this because there is a big motherfucking difference between a curse and a cycle. But let's talk about what a generational cycle is. So everything that we and this is I came to this realization throughout but I'm going to explain this to you a little bit prematurely so that everyone understands because a generational cycle is something that is embedded within our genetic makeup and basically what it is is at some point in time in your lineage in your that is comparable to your incarnations there was an experience that occurred generally with two people um, or more where choices were made and it created an imbalance. Now, when I'm saying an imbalance, I'm saying it it went a- against the cosmic universal laws. And again, we're going to get into all the detail of all that stuff, but that's basically what it was. We made a choice. It went against the cosmic universal laws, the way that the universe is designed to operate. And so when we incarnated again, we placed that same soul, different body, generally a little bit different of an experience, but relative to experience again, to make a different choice, to make a choice that is imbalanced with 
the cosmic universal laws to which will restore the harmony and balance to where it needs to be, right? So a generational cycle is almost identical to a karmic cycle because they, in my experience, they imply the same thing. An imbalance occurred. Well, what is karma's job? Karma's job that we know of, right? But karma's job is to restore something back to balance. So that suggests that at some point in time, there was balance, something happened, a choice was made, an imbalance was created, and now we're cycling through incarnation, 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 presenting all of these experiences that differ to different degrees in order to make a better choice to fucking balance it out, okay? That's what a generational cycle is. And it's very much so related to genetics and DNA. We're going to get to that. But again, I know I reference the book. I didn't realize any of this at the time. I didn't realize that the episode 13 in 2021, what occurred, I didn't realize that experience that I was going through was directly connected to a generation and karmic cycle. I didn't realize that all of that was embedded within our cellular memory. I didn't realize it was all connected to our genetics and our DNA. I didn't realize any of this. But short story of all of that, I'm going to try and give you a condensed version of what um, chapter 13 is and how I came to realize all of these things in my own personal experience. But please note that the channeled messages we're going to go over were all relative to that on a personal level and on a humanitarian level as well. So again, multi-layered, right? Basically what happened, my son, my oldest son, when he was born, not only did he have asthma, he had a birthmark on his chest. And my grandmother came through when he was newborn and said, he died of an arrow wound in a past life and this is why he has the birthmark and this is why he has the asthma. And that was all she said. Now it progressed for two three years, I'm going to say, as far as his asthma getting worse and worse and worse. And I was a new mom and I, you know, had him at 19. So I'm like listening to all these doctors and I'm poor as shit. So I'm going to Planned Parenthood, right? Okay. Yeah. You're picking up where you're picking up what I'm putting down on that, right? But nothing was working. So finally, uh, when he was, I don't know, he was younger. He was only about like two or three. He just kept getting sick and I didn't know what else to do. So I asked my grandma, I'm like, "Mm, can you help a bitch out? Because I don't know, this isn't working. And I need something that works. You know, she guided me through the process. I ended up whispering in his ear every night for 30 nights when he was asleep that I would do my absolute best to love him and care for him during this lifetime and that he should take everything from every previous lifetime that was beneficial for him and happy and joyous and the wisdom and bring it into this life. But the pain and all of the other things that that might still be affecting him in a negative way that he needs to release and blah, blah, blah. I have it all, you know, in my book because it works. Because that boy never had an asthma attack after that. He never got sick the way that he was getting sick before, but he did still have a birthmark. Well, at age 19, he decided that he wanted to go to college down south in the Appalachian motherfucking mountains where all his maternal bloodline is from. I call him a lot of things, but one of the things that I call him is Jeremiah the Messiah because he's fucking, I've always said he's better than I am by a billion. He's a billion times more intuitive than I am. He's a billion times more powerful than I am and rightfully so he deserves that recognition but he was asking me things like um, if time doesn't exist then technically couldn't we incarnate in the past and I'm like I don't have a fucking answer for that dude like that's out there okay and this child doesn't do drugs he doesn't do um, anything that would alter his state of awareness he just 
comes up with these things. And uh, he, he, shit, he's been asking me shit that I don't have answers for since he was a baby. But nonetheless, so he goes to college. I drop him off. He's 13 hours away. My baby, right? And um, two days after I get back up to New York, I get a phone call that my son's been shot three times. Had no idea where he was. Had I mean, fuck, like, mm, not even gonna, we're not gonna go into all the details. But if I skip over all the details of that, essentially what happened was he was put in the same exact geographical location that a previous life had occurred where he had died. So he was represented with another experience. And because of the accumulated choices that he had made throughout his life and choices at that exact moment in time with the help of other people, other beings, that entire experience is horrifying and as traumatic as it was was actually something that broke a karmic and generational cycle. Now, how do I know that? Well, because about two weeks later, on July 26th, which, you know, not for nothing, not to skip ahead on things, but July 26th is the date where Enoch is celebrated as a saint. Um, He comes out of the bathroom, and I'm, like, trying to bandage him up, and he goes, Mom, my birthmark's gone. And everything just clicked. Everything just made sense. It just made sense. We knew prior to that moment on July 26th that that everything was um, past life related and this and that and the third. But then I had proof right in front of my face with my child that that scar that was generated from a previous trauma was gone. It was erased. I literally had proof at that point right in front of my face that when we balance a karmic cycle, generational cycle, when it's restored, it's fucking erased from existence. And that's a mouthful. You don't have a cellular memory. There's not a quantum entanglement. There's not a genetic marker. It's fucking gone. And that's how I learned about generational cycles. But equal to that, you know, layered people, it's layered. He inherited cycles from me. And yes, he inherited certain things from his dad, but he inherited a lot of that from me genetically. So everything that I had done throughout my life, and we're going to get into the whole genetic thing and the epigenetics and blah, 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 and how that falls into the fallen angels. And I'm telling you, it's deep, y'all. Everything domino affected that number one saved my son's life. But number two, on a, on a grander scale, it really erased the karmic cycle, the trauma, the repetitiveness of having to go through and go through. It erased it. So that was all done with the help and request from my father, introduction to St. Germain, channeling a fucking dragon, St. Michael, and Sekhmet. This is what I'm saying, guys. Like the dreams that we get, um, if you're an automatic writer channeler, which we all are, but if you do this and you practice this, you know, we'll, we get things and yes, eventually they do make sense. But just because you connect one piece doesn't mean that there's not another piece to it and another piece to it and another piece to it. Again, it's a fucking ladder. So I'm going to back up just a smidge. I'm going to give you guys two channeled messages that occurred before all of that happened in 21. Okay, so we're going to go back to April of 2021. So this is before all that stuff happened with my son. Um, This was after the understanding of the past lives at least right and in the meantime I'm working with Sekhmet I'm working with Michael Jermaine's in the background never talked to the dragon again after that not in that way at the end of 2019 I was introduced to Enoch through a meditation that I was actually guiding other people through when he introduced himself to me he came through as a woolly mammoth and when I was describing what I saw to people I was telling them it was like a snuffleupagus um, but it's a woolly mammoth and then he showed me me the tree of life 
and then he showed me Metatron's cube, all of which I did not know were connected to Enoch slash Metatron. So for a long time, I actually called him and referenced him as Metatron. I do not anymore, but just know that Enoch and Metatron are interchangeable. So he introduced himself to me at the end of 2019 when I was doing a documentary that's on my YouTube channel about the spirits at the Rabbits Theater in Niagara Falls, New York, which again, another process of understanding earthbound spirits. He comes through. Only other thing that he said to me at that point after he came through as a snuffleupagus was that I needed to put out a podcast. I needed to tell my story, which was what initiated me putting my book together. So that was the only communication that I had. But she came through in April of 21 and she came through with Enoch. And this is what they said in regards to automatic writing. And this shit is a doozy, okay? Be prepared. It was around 430,000 BCE when we, the council, were formed. That's her intro, by the way. Okay. We are the ones who are chosen by the one supreme being of all to oversee the contracts that were then required to be factored into the mind-body-spirit experience. Prior to this, karma and contracts did not exist. She goes, prior to that, you could compare the mind-body-spirit experience to a heaven-on-earth, Eden, Atlantis, Lumerian way of life. The human collective began a cycle that slowly shifted from a matriarchal way of living to a patriarchal way of living. At the time, within the mind-body-spirit experience, this distortion rippled throughout the collective, yes. However, it merely prolonged the ascension process of a soul's journey throughout space and time, but cannot halt the divine plan. Didn't understand what the divine plan was. So, okay. So she says, this began the cycle where contracts were needed to restore karmic balance and the harmonization within the mind-body-spirit experience and the soul's journey back to oneness. You are just now collectively in the process of ending this cycle. In other words, 430,000 BCE, we the council were guided to create and use contracts in union with the cosmic universal laws, which now now include karma to each fragmented soul of the most high who are experiencing the mind body spirit portion of their soul's journey. So pin in that basically what she's saying y'all is that 430,000 years ago karma didn't exist. Everything was fucking perfect but then something rippled throughout. Choices were made. Contracts had to be incorporated in a soul's journey in the mind body spirit experience and so did karma. The term contract is not what you use in in the current era like government or legal agreements or something that is positive or negative. A contract is a neutral energetic agreement presented when your frequency has the opportunity to align and evolve throughout all space and time. You must remember we are all fragments of the one as I relay the following. It was during this shift a group of souls collectively and intentionally kept what once was common knowledge a secret and formulated a plan to use that, which is now referred to as secret knowledge, to harness as much energy as possible from the human life force or from within the collective mind-body-spirit experience. She says, you call this the fall of man in skewed religious texts with intentionally rearranged and incorrect timelines. So that's a mouthful. How does one validate that? Well, we'll get there. She says, throughout time, this knowledge that has been hidden and intentionally suppressed, so there's the repetitive suppression, Throughout time, this knowledge, hidden and intentionally suppressed, has been used to obtain and control excessive amounts of humanity's energy through the emotions. 
as time proceeded, the blind participation of this new way of living grew, creating more and more of a ripple effect throughout space and time, creating what you call generational cycles and a prolonged journey of the collective souls within the mind-body-spirit experience back to oneness. So she talked about generational cycles and the emotions and the suppression. And she also keeps mentioning, I think this is like the second time that she mentioned blind participation and we'll get there. We'll get to what that means. And then this is really important. She says, the mind-body-spirit experience was designed to naturally emit a tremendous amount of energy through the emotions that the body itself isn't capable nor designed to contain. So naturally, what the human body is unable to contain will be emitted back into the frequency of the earth, similar to the energy flow of a torus field. As electromagnetic beings, you are designed to be a contributor and a conductor, living at the level of your own independent frequency, but also always guided and governed within the electromagnetic frequency of the earth correspondingly. Again, she's very intelligent, but what she's saying, the chakras, our auric field, it's electromagnetic, contributor and conductor. Frequencies are real. Some people can see auras. Some people see them with their physical eyes. Some people just see them in their mind's eye, but they're there. And apparently they're real fucking important. So if they're real fucking important, but anybody that's talked about, you know, auras and chakras, it's fucking, it's woo woo shit. Can't see it, taste it, smell it, touch it, hear it. So it must not exist, but she's making a big deal about this. So she goes on and says, likewise, things don't happen to you. They happen as a natural response to the thoughts and emotions combined with your soul's contract and what you've designed to present to yourself to achieve balance and harmony. These two elements are important to remember at this time. Let me tell you, when everything was going down between COVID, my past lives, my mother's situation, and then with my son and all that shit, as much as she stressed that those two elements were important to remember at that time, that was the last thing that was running through my mind. But as you can tell, she had a point. She was talking about things that were relevant to understand so that I understood the experiences that were being presented. Now, yes, I'm saying that these experiences at this point were personal, but these are relative to every single free range human being, especially those that are listening to this, right? Okay. So she goes on and she says, when a contract is presented to you in your experience, you can choose to resist it or you can choose to respond to it. Resistance occurs when you are unable to see or be aware of the karmic cycle that formed the contract you designed to be presented and correct. Thus, a soul will remain in stagnation throughout all space in time until another opportunity to fulfill the contract is presented and the cycle continues until it's completed. So I'm just going to put a pin on this and throw my own little two cents in here because there's so many people that talk about, you know, um, possibly you want to put them in, say, the spiritual community or like conspiracy communities and this, that, and the third. And like, I really don't even like calling it conspiracies. Um, It's cognitive thinking, but I think that there's a clear divide between actual cognitive thinking and jumping on the bandwagon of conspiracies and and following the wrong rabbit, if one will, because so many people say that we're trapped, that reincarnation is a trap. And again, going back to whatever episode I 
mentioned this the first one or the second one when it's fear-based that's the time and time again tactic so to feed into something that suggests that you have no control over your soul that you're trapped and the moon is trapping you and your cycle is a prison well the basis of that is fear fuck that shit she says a soul will remain in stagnation throughout all space and time until another opportunity to fulfill the contract that we designed is presented and you can either resist it or you can respond to it and it's going to continue until it's completed until balance and harmony is restored because what happens when balance and harmony is restored the imbalance the disharmony is erased from existence so anyway she goes on and says however responding to contracts allows a soul to ascend throughout all space and time and evolve as designed i know she says space and time a lot but i think that is her way of expressing all existence you know because we're governed by time we're governed by this idea of space and linear and blah 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 but i think when she's saying space in time she's talking about eternity i could be wrong but that's my perception at this moment so she says this guides your soul on a journey back to oneness you may notice a shift within frequency when an opportunity to fulfill a contract is being presented to you and then she gave examples she's like your sleep patterns and your stress levels can change your energy patterns may change and sometimes modern medicine is unable to provide you with solutions or answers to correct this so what she's saying is that your sleep patterns your stress levels, energy patterns, things are changing within your body. Medicine, you know, the medical field is like, we don't know what the fuck's going on. Or maybe they'll just slap you in a box and put you on some medication. But she's saying it's a shift in frequency. So she goes on to say, you might begin to seek higher levels of awareness at this point. And that's what she's encouraging you to do. But she says, some create an experience within relationships that develop over time. And in most case, lifetimes. As time passes, the relationship will change and differ. But... All is held within your cellular memory and genetic makeup, along with your emotion to the experiences, will linger within your cellular memory and genetic makeup long after the occurrence happened. So she's saying exactly what I figured out, you know, with the experience with my son, but she's saying all of this shit is held within our cellular memory, genetic makeup, the emotions are all held there, right? Which validates the fact that fear not only affects the human experience, but it affects the soul. And that's why we always have to, that's why there's such a big focus on discernment when it comes to looking at the foundation of what somebody is saying. And is it just the same old tactic with a different narrative with a basis of fear? We always say that, let your faith be bigger than fear. Well, I mean, not for nothing, but my thought process is at this moment in time, like how much power have we collectively given to fear? And if we've given that much power to fear, where the fuck is our faith? I digress. She goes on and she says, when an experience or situation is presented to you that seems uncomfortable or these patterns are changing, that is when you know a contract is being presented to you. There is a frequency change. This is an opportunity. She says the emotions experienced are what can and did create the deep emotional inner conflict and cycle to begin with. This is something that has been carried on for lifetimes. But when we fail to reach a higher level of awareness during our mind-body-spirit experience, that's when we fail to understand the quote-unquote why behind the experience that we designed to be presented and correct. I know that 
that's kind of like reiterating what I just said, but basically she's like these uncomfortable situations, these patterns, this shift in frequency, they're all there with a purpose. They all have a deep emotional conflict that's related to a cycle. We are presenting them to ourselves so that we can respond and stop resisting them so that we can correct and erase an imbalance that occurred many motherfucking lifetimes ago. And it's all embedded within our genetics and our cellular memory to begin with. She goes on and says, all of which is held within your genetic makeup and cellular memory to secure the divine plan of the soul's journey back to oneness of self. Big statement. So the last part of this is when she says, therefore, contracts are presented to you throughout your human experience as you agreed them to be. Likewise, presented with a multitude of different timelines or paths. And yes, some are predetermined, but also some are fixed into place. Some are experienced to different degrees. When experienced to different degrees, you often call this free will. And while that may be a good term for you to use, they are more comparable to variations or flexibilities of timelines within a contract and the release of information, which is, again, embedded within your genetic makeup and cellular memory. And that's what she said. Now, when I read this, like I said, all prior to things that were happening and the understanding and the awareness, I had no fucking idea what this bitch was talking about. But it makes sense now, right? So she comes through. Enoch didn't say any of this. This all came through from her, but he was there, like right next to her. And then he follows this channeling with, you need to learn Hebrew. Actually, it wasn't even you need to learn Hebrew. It was like, learn Hebrew. And I was like, dude... I don't think you have the right bitch here. For the record, I don't think you have the right person for the job. But that's what he said. You know, about a month later on May 7th, he came through with a little bit more than just learn Hebrew and said, beloved one, in the beginning, it was me, the angel you call Metatron, that gave unto humanity the tarot and the original language Hebrew. They both were to be preserved and kept for the most high of all traditions throughout all the land. Instead, they were kept secret, twisted and tangled when shared. What had been shared became the distorted and altered translation of its truth and of its purpose. I gave you the tarot as the map back to your truest self to see each contract you designed to be presented in addition with the possibilities your choice of resistance may offer versus the possibility of your choice of response may offer, which is the truest form of what you call divination. Within the tarot, each of the 22 major arcana cards represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, yes, but equally they represent the self that has been created based off of the choices to resist or respond in any given experience or contract when presented. Thus, creating the 22 pathways within the tree of life. The secrets have been scattered as though they are separate, as though life is linear. I assure you it is not. It is multidimensional and all connects within time and space, beloved one, astrology, the original language, the ones you call angels and the tarot. It is all to be used together as a guide of your contractual obligation and map back to your truest self and your soul's ascension. You are the product of your own work throughout your life's journey, the journey back to pure consciousness. You are the cosmic Christ on a journey back to yourself. Blessed are the ones who embrace the wisdom of spirit. We have been waiting for your return. So they all come through. They're all different, but they're all talking about the same thing. It was very interesting to me that he was using the same verbiage and terminology as Sekhmet, things like resistance and response and contracts, multidimensional, all of that. And um, when they talk about this council, 
you know, they're all on the same playing field. They're all on the same team. So I did what he said to do at that point. He wanted me to rewrite tarot. He wanted me to do it in a way that would actually be beneficial for people instead of regurgitating. And it's it's the Rider White deck, by the way, is what he was referring to in case I failed to mention that. And I wrote 492 pages of channeled information in regards to what each of the cards were supposed to uh, represent and help as far as a map of our own understanding and what he was referring to as as far as like true divination. And then I did my best to put that on cards, you know, as words um, so that people, if they wanted to practice tarot, that they could do so in a more appropriate, more aligned way rather than, you know, because I never vibed with the Rider White deck, not in the slightest. And then when I figured out how and whoever had created it and blah, 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 I was like, yeah, no bueno, no thank you. So that is May of 21. And then everything that I had went through with my son was June and July of 21. And I know that this is a little bit of a longer episode, so we're going to kind of put a pin in it here. And I'm going to let you guys kind of digest the last three episodes. Somebody just told me, yes, hello, my name is Jen, but somebody just told me that um, you might want to take notes, you know, because you're going to have your own messages that are coming in, possibly while, while listening to this, you might have remembrance of dreams that you forgot about long ago. So possibly when you, you know, I'm sorry that I'm mentioning this at the end of this, but maybe going forward, you may want to take notes or if you come back and you listen to it, just jot some things down because like I said, and I will say, we are all in this together and again I thank you all very much for all of your support and leave your comments make sure you subscribe if you want to follow along on this journey with me and I will be back soon